What's up? What's up? What's up? Seems to be my intro. Welcome to another episode of Piano Podcast. Do I have to keep saying that? Do I have to keep saying that? I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, on this episode, we got a guy that I've worked with a few times on the magazine. Hopefully, we'll keep working together. Andrew Jack. He's kind of a food experimenter and fermenter and all kinds of different things. Um, I found him through Instagram. If you're not following him, you should. Uh, AJ Jack underscore on Instagram. And he's doing crazy things with fermentation and wild, wild plating and stuff. You know, we talk about it in this episode, but it's kind of like just the most extreme, forgetting about pricing and any sort of food standardization and just going wild, going ham on some ingredients, you know, just, just doing the wildest things you can imagine with ingredients. So definitely follow him on Instagram. But, uh, he actually did some work on the first issue of Peon. You can still read it. I'm not sure how, how dated that page is because it's been a while since I looked at it, but he did some uh, amazing things with beets. Like he like, uh, he covered it in like clay or something like that. I forgot what it was. And then on the second issue he did, that was during the pandemic. He was just going wild with beans and he had like made like, you know, his own soy sauce and he was messing around with fermenting black soybeans and stuff. And that and with that one, we worked uh, with uh, Tommy Washbush, who uh, is a fucking great artist. And um, I'm actually planning on having, I know, I know I always say this, I always go like, I'm working on this thing, but really I am working on a lot of shit. And uh, this is yet another thing to put on the pile. But I think the first special edition t-shirt uh, for Peon is going to be the cover of that that article and it was Andy's idea. It's fucking great. It's a cover of a black flag album. And it's like this guy is like in the fucking corner of his room and he's, you can tell he's just going crazy. But instead of that guy, it's Andy and he's in a room full of fermented items and he's going crazy. And instead of black flag, it says black beans. So uh, we're going to be making that into a t-shirt and I'll let you guys know when that's out. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to release that. I kind of want to have it around just in case people want to order it later. I don't want it to be like one time only kind of thing because I really like that that design a lot. Aside from talking about his his work in fermentation and in kitchens and stuff, you know, we talk about the standards. You know, getting sort of burnt out in kitchens and 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 sort of growing out of kitchens, which seems to be a pretty standard topic. I talk about it a lot. I think about it a lot, especially when my knees are going out when I'm trying to get in the low boy. You know, it's realities of my life especially when I'm working a station. And we also talk about, you know, finding your place in, in kitchens. And it's kind of kind of grim for me because I, I realized that I'm, I do enjoy the high of like a station and the anxiety of it. That's kind of, maybe I've got a, gotten addicted to it. Maybe that's a possibility. Um, but I do enjoy it. And at a certain point, you can't, you can't really enjoy that anymore because your, your body just gives out, you know, you can only do it for so long. So I got to find a new addiction. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of, a few things or maybe i'm already addicted i don't know who knows people that know me can probably i probably answer that question right now aside from that as well we talk about guy fieri another one of my favorite topics um i i love guy fieri i love i love that he accepts who he is and and just like accepts the irony around him and oddly enough andy actually met guy fieri at this wild show that Guy Fieri did, and we weren't quite sure, or he wasn't quite sure if if it actually saw the light of day. But I looked it up. It's called uh, Guy Fieri's Roadshow, and it was kind of like I think we we said like Emerald Live. If you guys remember that Emerald Live, 
if it was like a rock show, but it's really more of like, like a variety show <laughs> on stage. It's like a live show. They took it, they took it around the country and you can actually watch clips of it on YouTube. You can see the show that Andy was actually at. I'm looking at it right now. 12 years ago, Guy Fieri's road show, Milwaukee, 2009, December 9th. It's crazy. There's a, they, I don't know what to, I don't know what to think about this show. There's a guy who's doing karaoke, but the DJ's not playing any music. So it's like acapella and he's doing like some Stone Temple pilot song. He's just acapella yarling. It's crazy. And then there's a woman doing the worm. It's like, it's almost like a bachelor party that got out of hand. It's really weird. Guy Fury's got flames everywhere. His, his, <laughs> his, his chef coat has like fl- flames, like decal flames on the side. There's a, the, the DJ's wearing like a white, like chef coat, a tuxedo mashup. And then there's like a, there's like a, like a police siren that goes off. It's really wild. It's really wild. Check it out. This is very small, small clips about it, but man, it definitely is a time capsule. Yeah, this is a, it's a great episode. It gets a little technical because, um, uh, because that's kind of Andy's life, you know, but if you like fermentation, if you have any sort of interest in fermentation, man, he's, uh, he's, he's one of the, he's one of the most interesting people out there. If not, maybe this will get you into fermentation, but definitely check out Andy. He's one of the most unique dudes out there doing it doing some crazy shit and um go buy his his stuff uh dad dust and umami salt you can also find that on his instagram too and maybe i'll get that dad dust sponsorship soon you know here's hoping enjoy this episode thanks Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Um, you, have you have you always lived in uh, in Madison? Uh, yeah, so I've always lived in Wisconsin. Um, so I grew up in like oh, okay. rural Wisconsin. Um, yeah, outside of uh, outside of Milwaukee, out in the countryside. Um, all my neighbors were like horses and cows. You know, it was very yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah real uh, Damn, real dude. rural. Yeah, yeah. Damn. All right. Well, what what got you into kitchens? Did you like start in like some some like country? country ass kitchen or did you move into yeah. the city no um uh actually it was uh growing up growing up out there um my uh i always ate pretty like simplistically but um my parents uh did a lot of outdoor project they not only just like hunted and fished but had a lot of garden used to uh keep bees grow mushrooms um all that kind of stuff um, oh so, so is that where you get like most of your what you do now yeah is that how you like know what to look for when you're foraging yeah definitely yeah i uh i had never put two and two together really you know cooking was always just sort of like 
a means of a way to eat. Like, uh, since we had all this sort of like raw ingredients on hand, if I was hungry, um, it wasn't really this sort of like, I don't know, art or fun thing. It was more just yeah. like, oh, all right, I got like venison and potatoes in yeah. the, in the yeah, storage. Yeah. So that's just like, I never, I, I took it super, uh, like in hindsight, I realized how special and uh, privileged all that was. But um, yeah, at the time it was just like, I don't know, like, uh, yeah, it's just, just uh, throwing some shit together. Norm, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my parents uh, definitely cooked. Um, they did a lot of, uh, simplistic things, but kind of everyone in my family had their own project a little bit. So I started kind of just getting more into cooking. I would just check out cookbooks from the library. Um, do you remember what made you want to do that? Yeah. Um, especially with just like having all the raw ingredients and stuff like that. I think just kind of internalized really early that like making different combinations of things, you could make new stuff. So I didn't actually get out to eat very much at all. Didn't really go to restaurants that much growing up. But like anytime that you would, I would see something on a menu and any like foreign foreign word that I didn't recognize. So I was super curious about what it was. Always okay. wanted to try the new thing, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Just that kind of idea that um, cooking meant that you could really kind of eat anything that you wanted. It was more eating motivated than anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just want to try some new shit, some new weird shit. Yeah. And uh, again, yeah, just kind of taking that for granted and just kind of thought that that was something that that everyone, everyone did. And uh, it was only until maybe uh, high school once people started getting jobs and everything that I was like, Oh, okay. I have a little bit of like a, a leg up here with, you know, some experience with processing things and stuff like that. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. So when did you take the plunge? When did you get your first kitchen job? Did you even like think I, I want to be a cook or were you just like, I oh, shit, I need to get a job. Just get a fucking kitchen job. No, I was, uh, I was actually bored in, in high school. Um, we had a pretty big high school. So they sort of had this, like, uh, what do you call it? Program with a tech school where you could get tech school credit. Um, if you wanted to, I had no plans of going uh, okay. into the culinary route and I never even went in. I never ended up going to culinary school or anything, but just, uh, thank God. Right. I started. Yeah. Thank God. For, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, yeah. that's a common consensus. Yeah. I, uh, same here. Yeah. I was going to spend $30,000 and I'm like, fuck it <laughs> yeah absolutely um no yeah yeah definitely uh dodge dodge the bullet there but um, yeah i was literally bored and it was a way to uh take less credit in regular classes and they had a they had a kitchen in my high school damn so i got That's some lucky, man. licensing and i'd sign up for random events those like culinary competitions through those tech schools sign up for those um weird events i hung out with guy fieri for a whole day um, no way dude what was like no, we gotta stop we gotta stop <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. i got i can't know no, if you can see that i have like guy fieri pictures up here on my wall yeah, right yeah. yeah he's how got did you, right? how did you, you lay <laughs> yeah. on that um, yeah, like, uh, there was a little, yeah, like I said, uh, since I was signed up for this, whatever, uh, like accelerated food program thing, they would just send all these pamphlets and stuff. And there's one, uh -huh. I had zero context. It was just said like internship with the food network for a day. And it was during a school day. Okay. Um, I was like, what, I don't know, 16 or 17 at the time. So this was, I don't know. Yeah. Over 10 years ago. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's do it. Let's hit it. And, uh, yeah, I remember it was in Milwaukee. Um, Ferry had like this, like cooking road tour show. Okay. Um, 
Was it a cooking show? Yeah, so it was like on the road with Guy Fieri. It was supposed to be sort of like a late night concept show. So there was like, oh, okay, okay. I don't want to say exactly like a like a Saturday Night Live. Like there obviously wasn't like sketches or anything. It wasn't exactly <laughs> a late night show, but like there was like there was a DJ and a band. What? You know, Guy Fieri would like drop a one liner, and then there was like oh, local no. chefs. Yeah, it was. It oh, was so a, he was like the host, like the talk show host. Oh man, I don't even. Um, it's like, yeah, it was like if Emerald Live had like this late oh, night okay. Guy Fieri over the top <laughs> spin. So it was still, it was still all okay. cooking based, but there was like a trick bartender. There was like a local chef and then like Guy oh, Fieri shit. was like the main act. Um, uh-huh. it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, um, completely surreal, completely surreal. Uh, yeah, wait, yeah. so you just applied for that and then they just, they just, they gave it to you? Yeah. There was like three other, uh culinary like students or accelerated program people or whatever and I and just like essentially like supposed to be like staging sort of I like squeezed limes for this like trick trick bartender uh, because they like uh, part of the show is there's like a VIP section where people got hammered off to the side like, of the stage. Wait, wait, the guests or the the, the yeah, um, like part of the part like if you paid extra or whatever, you got a little okay. VIP club. <laughs> then, you got to get uh, fucked up with Guy Fieri. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, yeah, I pay for so that. It's a, Ooh, no, it was a it's a dream, man. Um, so that was kind of like that was our role. So we whatever did some prep, and then while the show was going on, it's sort of like liaison for this like vip club so like guy Ferrer would like dem- demo how to do something and then pass it off to the side where we were kind of off to the side and then we'd kind of finish it up and then like run it to this uh via vip section that was kind of our role okay um on, right. the, on the show but it was an all-day thing i got there at like eight in the morning i think i left at like three in the morning um, you know, first Damn. taste of a kitchen, first taste what? of a kitchen schedule. <laughs> that was your first taste but, of a kitchen. Damn. Yeah. What was, uh, uh, how old were you? Yeah, I was like 16 or 17 at the time. Oh uh, shit. That's, yeah. that's a dream, man. Yeah, no, it was, uh, have uh, you, have you tried to find that, find that, that episode? Like, did they ever air it or was that like a, just a dead it show? Was, no, it was all filmed. Um, I don't know if they were just prioritizing that it was live or like what happened. If I don't know if something terrible, <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, it never uh, it never aired, and, and like that uh, that uh, that adds to the surrealism of it. I'm like, did this even happen? <laughs> Some crazy crazy guy here, fever dream. No. <laughs> yeah. Did you actually get to meet him? Yeah, um, I remember they were like hyping us up, even though uh, I don't know his face was on the side of the tour bus. They're like, "Are you ready to meet your Food Network star or whatever?" It was at this. It was at Riverside Theater in Milwaukee, which is like a, a theater stage, right? So they had the curtains pulled, and he like ran out from behind the curtains and was like, "Rock and roll, <laughs> dude!" Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. He have the, did he have the car with him and everything? Yeah, no. He was uh, <laughs> if he, uh, you know, if if Guy Fieri, the the TV personality, is a character, he did not break it the entire the entire time. It was Gee, exactly damn. as you see on the show. He was just like <laughs> backwards full glasses, one-liners, backwards oh, glasses. Hair was already, you know, in the oh, in the dude. zone. That sounds um, amazing. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, every every tagline, dynamite money, uh, symposium of flavor, you know, every, I got the full, <laughs> I got the full package. Huh? It was, yeah. Nice. Yeah, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah. That made you want to go into kitchens. 
I was like, gonna say it's apparently gonna be like this. <laughs> that was the that was the turning point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Before that, you know what? Like uh, maybe subconsciously, you know, I didn't think that, but now that you're saying it, uh, that <laughs> that marks that's around when I started working. So uh, maybe maybe you're onto something. Maybe it uh, yeah. Maybe it got to me. Damn, dude! Never thought of applying at Guys American Kitchen or whatever. Oh no, you know, now that I got it on the yeah. resume, I always got the I always got the plug. Got Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh shit, man! I'm jealous, dude. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, what was your what was your first official kitchen job, and how disappointed were you that it wasn't like hanging out the area? Yeah, it was. Um, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to kind of hop straight into professional kitchen stuff. I was uh, moved to Madison. Um, was studying like nutrition stuff and just kind of looking for like I don't know a, a twenty hour a week gig or just something like that to kind of yeah. uh, learn some skills, make some money, stuff like that. Um, There's a really large farmers market, so I was kind of helping um, as like a you know foraging person, and then I was just badgering um, the the chef about just sort of like if they got any prep spots open or just whatever. Um, just to, yeah, I just wanted to kind of keep that, keep that train going, liked cooking a lot. So wanted to learn some stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, got, that was kind of my first in. So I was, um, I was, I think 18 at the time. Yeah. That's when I started. That was uh first, first foray into a professional kitchen. What, what kitchen was that? It was like Applebee's kind of thing or it was like a fancy place. Yeah, definitely. It was, um, it was like a uh, French farm to table kind of vibes that we don't have any Michelin program or anything like yeah, that yeah, here, yeah. but definitely one of the, uh, one of the more high end flagship sort of places in the city. And that was during the time that sort of, uh, not that it's not, this way now but um i feel like the whole like food blog sort of like farm to table celebrity status you know if you were a popular chef you were really uh you had an absolute endless uh you know stream of uh interns and people who wanted to you know stars work for you and stuff like that i guess that's only changed recently but um yeah it was definitely uh it was cool that uh it's cool that i that i had landed that spot at the at the time i was pretty pretty hype about it did you uh did you uh, start a prep or did they throw you on the line right away uh no i i uh i started at prep and then i um even though you know dip my dip my toes um here and there or whatever i pretty much just uh was there i was there almost two years and i would say 80% of it, I was prep and that's always been my favorite yeah. station. Uh-huh. So that was kind of, uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah? That was like, yeah, I, I love prep. So, um, as yeah, like started there, ended there. I like the, uh, I don't know, kind of methodical aspects of cooking more than the high octane. I've always been on that, that oh, really? end of the spectrum and always, always will be. Um, yeah. 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 That, that, that's, uh, it's kind of what you do now, right? You're more like on that kind of side of things as opposed to like, you know, working a yeah, line. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty yeah. much, uh, that, that first experience I've, I've pretty quickly learned, uh, where I'm, where I'm comfortable, what I want to do as far as work within kitchens and things like that. Yeah. I've always, I've always felt more on the, uh, Love R and D, love prep, love yeah, methodical um, recipe development, and I yeah, never uh, never jive the line, never been uh, 
quite as, uh, you know, there's just, you, you meet people who are just absolute machines. And, uh, I mean, it's obviously from their, uh, work and experience and the amount of, uh, hours that they put in, yeah. but man, I could never, uh, I could never nail that, that level of consistency. I, I don't, I'm not a good line cook. Um, that's really smart of you to like know where you know where you're good at. Cause like, I feel like I'm the opposite. Like I, I, I like the high of like getting your ass whooped and like, um, going super fast and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. it worries me that I'm getting older and then I can't really do that anymore. So, um, <laughs> I got to figure it out. But, um, yeah. did, so did you ever get a chance to jump on the line? Did they make you do that? Yeah. I mean, I did, uh, I did guard and just sort of like a revolving door type, um, thing, just kind of being, uh, being young and from the outside and stuff. They definitely let me dip my toes into some station stuff on, uh, nights that were a little bit more normal and things like that. Okay. Definitely did a lot of floating and things like that, especially, you know, when, uh, you know, special, uh, holidays events and stuff okay. like that you know um but i pretty much always especially being someone who was working primarily the weekends and busy days and stuff like that they just needed they needed so much relief and i was always the first one to volunteer for for that kind of stuff yeah. for whatever reason line stuff always made me uh it made me uh i mean it makes everyone anxious but uh, I yeah. with it. uh not <laughs> i never uh i never entirely acclimated to it so yeah where did you move to after that? You said you stayed there for like two days, two years, you said? Yeah, then, um, yeah. Um, and that was kind of, uh, my decision was more monetary than anything, as you can imagine. Um, yeah, of course. You know, like, uh, right. <laughs> uh, you know how it goes. So yeah. um, I started, I was fortunate enough to, um, you know, just like know some people in the area and sort of um, just was pinch hitting for uh, other companies doing catering stuff. And I started to see just some of these like wedding catering bills that were passing through. Um, and I just kind of quickly started to realize like, if I were to sort of like do this sort of thing in any sort of like longer term or sustainable way that that was kind of um, where I should start to kind of put my focus. Um, not only that, I noticed like things like buffet style, family style, um, just kind of the logistics of it, again, with that prep background really appealed to me. I liked the idea that I could just uh, prep 300 portions of something and then the next step was service instead of sort of jumping back and forth and, you know, like reading all these tickets yeah. and stuff like that. I kind of liked the streamline aspect of it. So I started getting into kind of doing some private chefing stuff to just sort of accumulate a little bit of equipment. And then I uh, just kind of jumped ship immediately, probably a little early, could have accumulated a little bit more professional experience, but yeah. uh, you know, wanted to make that money. So uh, yeah, <laughs> jumped, into, uh, yeah. Jumped, into, jumped into wedding catering then. And uh, wait, so did you start your own business or did you, uh, did you jump on uh, like uh, another company or something? Yeah. Um, yeah. I started my own, uh, my own stuff. It was, uh, you know, you, as you can imagine, uh, pretty janky at the start. Um, just, uh, went from private chefing, you know, just like, uh, set up of like going to the market on, uh, whatever day, day of the event, super early, bringing everything on site and just kind of, uh, doing it there. You know, I don't know. I had a couple folding tables and a, Weber grill and then just leverage the kitchen. Okay. Uh, and then I just wash, wash dishes, you know, whatever. So it's just home. you just solo, solo cook in the back. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeez, started small man. and then just, um, you know, had friends and stuff like that in the, in the industry. So like, Oh, so you kind of called in some favors and shit. 
called in some favors and shit. And then um, I don't want to even say scaled from there. I, I kind of found a niche in sort of doing all of these sort of like uh, custom, more like super uh, special diet and or like ultra high end type uh, type gigs, um, things where the menu was never the same. So never had a consistent season menu. It wasn't ever like pick out of these options. It was always uh-huh. every single individual event was custom. Um, I read a different menu for every single one. And that's kind of where I landed, found my niche. And now that's sort of kind of my, my forte now is sort of uh, menu development and stuff like that. So just uh, constantly doubling down on, on that, that end of things. So what you've been in catering this whole time after that, that one kitchen? Uh, yeah. And again, like um, private, I, private, private chefing and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I picked up for consistent hours. Um, you know, I was working a daytime, um, daytime like kitchen shift, just uh, doing like lunch services, uh, kitchen manager for a small uh, kitchen operation out of like a cheese shop, uh, you know, Wisconsin stuff. Um, so yeah, <laughs> just uh, just you know, like consistent things that you know didn't uh, yeah. didn't go over forty hours a week or whatever, so I could do these other side things. So. I've definitely been here and there and, you know, pinch hit for, uh, for places where I can. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I've been pretty much independent for about a decade now. Damn dude. You're living the dream for most cooks. Really? (laughs) So, so, uh, what does that kind of look for, look like for you? Yeah, it's basically word of mouth for weddings. Um, word wedding, of mouth, damn. Okay. Uh, weddings were always sort of like the trickiest logistically, but also... Um, yeah, I've know, done a few. Most, it's a most, nightmare. It's insane. It's, it's absolutely crazy. insane. You're not doing big ones, right? You're doing like a little smaller... Um, so during the summer season, um, I kind of would have um, an abridged menu um, for you know keeping things really pretty uh, simplistic. And with... That simplistic stuff, just a lot of cheese charcuterie boards, salads, uh, fresh fruit, and then just like uh, maybe a starch and something hot. But otherwise, it's pretty much just grill station and prep that I can do for up to about 200 people. Um, But otherwise, most of my gigs would be, yeah, small, like uh, private chefing or like, yeah, like a corporate retreat or just like little things like that. And those in general would, you know, be much more, would be just me. And then at that point it's less than 25, right? Less than 25. Damn. Okay. Any nightmare caterings? Oh man. You know, I've been to a couple, (laughs) you know, especially with, I've, I, I have a hard time saying no to, no to things. So I remember, uh, a client wanted a couple uh, potential sample menus or whatever. So I wrote sample menu A, sample menu B, sample menu C. Each one uh, was like five to seven courses. And they looked at them and they said, we'll take all of it. Oh, shit. <laughs> we'll take all of it. <laughs> what? And it wasn't, uh, they weren't someone that to say to say no to really. Um, what do you mean? So, like, 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 a, like somebody rich or something like that? I had a prior, I had a prior client history and they've been super generous with me me just a good rapport with them and um it was a very special event it was a wedding for one of their kids so uh they they would go with me because i could pretty much do anything so they really took that to heart and then when they saw the three menus they said yeah we'll uh we'll pay triple um just uh make it happen so that's crazy um you know i had butter poached lobster tails on the menu along with a couple other um sous vide items i just remember um i had pre-blanched shucked 
all these lobster tails. So it was a ton of work. And I remember it was for about like 200 people. So I was doing all this. This was like one of my earlier forays into sort of big events. So I I really didn't have the infrastructure to to deal with this kind of stuff. So um, I had, I had. Uh, the butter poach was all sous vide set up and I had all my, I, I had like six sous vides going for this. And, um, <laughs> That's a lot. Dude. So That's I so was much. running them all because it was all like for that last, all of me knew it. Like, uh, wait, wait. So was everybody getting everything? Yeah, it was running through the buffet line. So, um, Oh my yeah. God. So you just had to keep shit. Up. So like, I had to keep, yeah. Damn. So, uh, yeah. In and out. So, um, whatever that inventory was, I just remember dropping it in and being like this, uh, the amount of lobster that I'm putting in right now is worth more than my car. And, <laughs> and I cannot, uh, if I screw this up, that's it. <laughs> like, there was no, there was no backup plan. You know, it wasn't like I, whatever, run to the grocery store and buy more. And it was this hot, hot day, summer wedding. And it was all right on site. And I was just like, oh, all right, fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah. Hope that, hope that this works out. And, um, I pushed my luck for a couple times there, and now I'm luckily on a, in a better spot where you know now I have gear and infrastructure team or whatever to uh, to back it up. But there's definitely a couple dice rolls, um, yeah. you know, in that transitional point. And yeah, yeah. Did you make it through that that catering? I did. Uh, we <sighs> for what you? I mean, you know, you know how it goes. Like uh, you on the back end of things, you can uh, you know. Uh, get super analytical about all the little details and what potentially oh, yeah, could have yeah. done differently, what went wrong, blah, blah, blah. But on Dude. the front half of things, they were happy and that's all that yeah, matters. Of course. Right? <laughs> that's all I've that matters. Done, like I said, I've done some nightmare caterings and then like you think like oh, everybody's going to be pissed and then the, the father bride comes back and he's fucking drunk. He doesn't care. He's, <laughs> yeah, so, he does. he's so fucking he happy. Yeah, everybody's uh-huh. so wasted. And like uh-huh. they, they, they thought it was the best night of their lives. They have no idea that you know, half the food just fell off the truck or whatever. They don't yeah. care. The best compliment that I've ever gotten was uh, you you nailed it. It was a fa- father of the groom uh, came up to give me a compliment and so wasted, gave me two <laughs> thumbs up and then he fell straight forward. <laughs> I'm like, all right, we did good, I guess. <laughs> that's, uh, that's as good of a compliment oh, as I can get. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good compliment. Shit, man. So how did you end up moving into um, fermentation and stuff? Did you Do you end up using a lot of fermentation on your menus or is that or um, people kind of not really into it up there. I, I don't really know what no, the vibe is up there. Yeah. So the work that I publish online, it, more of anything, is almost an outlet. Um, it's sort of things that just have no limitation. When I do events for clients and things like that, I really take the, I guess, idea that it's a lot larger than just sort of my own personal ideas. Yeah, you know, you're trying to like please the crowd. You want to please the crowd. Um, you know, there's so many factors. You want to, you know, you want to be able to, you know, pay your vendors um, on time. Yeah. You know, you want to be able to pay staff super well. You want the crowd to be really happy. And I just think by the time you deal with all that, all the logistics limitations and everything like that, that creativity is more leveraged in sort of like maximizing value for all the parties than it is sort of like having ultimate creative control and being like, Oh no, this needs 20 touch points on this plate. I just, uh, yeah, yeah. it's not, that's, that's just not what it's about at that point. Um, so 
Honestly, um, I was never really able to get a lot of my own personal ideas, things like that. I always, this all comes full circle back to like upbringing, just sort of like with being on the land and having a lot of ingredients and things like that. I always really liked like preservation techniques, seasonality, things like that. But that never, a lot of the time it didn't necessarily manifest itself on menus. So actually with COVID, all that business stuff was essentially uprooted. Instead of, you know, I don't know, pivoting into takeout kits like everyone else, um, yeah. I just kind of like used up a lot of whatever uh, my, my resources that I kind of saved up. I kind of, you know, liquidated a lot of my uh, inventory equipment and I just went full creative mode, not focusing on business stuff at all and just kind of putting things out there, not only as a creative outlet, but just sort of... I've never been able to kind of like show people what I could do on the R and D end. And I've always wanted Mm -hmm. to share that kind of stuff. Um, So really uh, that's all kind of been in the past couple of years. And that's really what I ultimately enjoy doing and really uh, like to focus on. So it's been really cool. You know, I I would never be here. I'd never be talking to you if it wasn't for um, Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram. Yeah. It's been, it's been everything. Um, It's amazing. The amount of people that you can meet. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, everybody's like within reach. It's it's crazy. Uh-huh. So you just started as kind of like a creative outlet just to kind of fuck around and like live out your your crazy ideas or Yeah, it was definitely it was like, you know, um here's a couple of food photos and here's some sort of B-sides of sort of like this is something that uh, you know, um wouldn't really make sense to put on a menu, but it's something that I really kind of thought was cool. Um and then uh, I started getting traction with it and people were kind of interested in it. I've been familiar with like pickling and fermentation and stuff like that, again, just as a means of preservation. But then as like Noma Guide to Fermentation dropped and that started sort of becoming, you know, trendy, the whole like sourdough oh, bread, yeah. koji, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, man, let's let's go. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, that's uh, that was whatever. I, I always loved that stuff, but it was it was never like I never thought anyone was interested in it. So I never really shared yeah. it. Yeah. Um, now it's- so that, now it's the hot shit so i was like yeah let's get this out here so that's when i don't know i wanted to share the highlight reel kind of the thoughts methodologies behind all that stuff that's really what that's that's where i like to put i I love all that stuff yeah yeah what's the like what's your sort of process nowadays you just like kind of go out fuck around find what you can and then kind of just come with an idea or is it sort of no it's um, yeah, it's definitely, it's almost always, um, utility and ingredient, um, focused. I think, um, again, the, probably the most privileged position why I'm able to do this is between, um, excess inventory from catering and, okay. and having all this like experience with excess, like garden stuff growing up and everything. If I was trying, if I was testing on a project, I could do like 10 iterations on it, um, uh, just cause I had the material to work with. So um, I kind of make a schedule based on what I expect the seasonality to be, you know, like starting out with, you know, whatever their super early stuff, ramps, spruce tips, rhubarb, green onions, all that kind of thing. And then, you know, going into whatever late season, you know, peppers, squash, et cetera. Um, I just kind of um, try to keep in mind what's going to be an influx. And then I just try to push the envelope and do something different with it every single year. So instead of just sticking with, whatever classic uh, means of, you know, saving things. Um, I'll just always try something new with, with uh, excess inventory every year. And uh, yeah, just try to push the envelope and try to combine things in different ways. I got to ask you, man, why bugs? 
What's what's the bugs, man? <laughs> um, yeah, for uh, for for context for for anyone uh, anyone interested, uh, there was uh, the entomology department with with the university in my city, UW Madison. They host um, within the entomology community. It's a pretty big event. Um, it's called Swarm to Table. Oh, know, that's pretty uh, cool. Play on play on proper table, and um, you know the focus is uh, obviously on like um, you know sustainability, um, you know aspects like cricket farming and how efficient it is compared to like meat farming and stuff like that. So again, just being someone who really really likes experimentation and things like that, I guess the big secret is is that it wasn't that edible insects was like my passion or anything like that. It was just like, hey, cool, here's another ingredient to. Uh, try to optimize, figure out, figure out some stuff that we can do with. And it's, uh, it's definitely not uncharted territory at all. Right. There's, uh, there's massive cultural history behind all that, but like, as far as like, you know, introduction to Western palettes and things like that, um, it is relatively new. So, um, the, that was a cool opportunity, um, at the, at the university, they, uh, they needed menu planning and consultation with, with that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I did the did their event this this last year and just tried to push the envelope and kind of uh, utilize bugs creatively. Not that uh, I see them, you know, typically get applied in sort of that fear factory yeah, yeah. context, oh, yeah. right? It's like here's a whole one, and um, you know, if you think about yeah. other ingredients, that would never no. fly with you know, you never put like a whole I don't know, you never put like a whole zucchini whatever. on a plate. People uh, would be like, "What the fuck know. are you doing?" Yeah, <laughs> that's dumb. <laughs> be like, what are you doing exactly? <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of room for interpretation and kind of, uh, yeah, making, making cool shit. So, uh, I remember, uh, yeah, a couple, uh, a couple of friends were like, dude, like what's going on, man? What's, what's, what's <laughs> I mean, <laughs> chill, what, chill, bro. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, how did it go? Uh, what'd you come up with? I guess. Yeah, it was fun. I saw the lollipop. The lollipop was fucking cool. I saw that. And then you were fucking around with some, some like ferment, fermented yeah. ants, yeah, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, like, uh, I, I believe that almost like no individual idea is, uh, is original. Um, there's so many permutations in cooking that you can combine certain things and then call your own, but, um, nothing's original. I looked up, um, you know, uh, it, it went as far as like, uh, I was looking at the fat content versus like protein ratio of like silkworm pupae. And I was like, this should make like, this is akin to egg yolks. I wonder if this is applicable in um, ice cream. And lo and behold, I type it into uh, Google, and there are there's literally scientific studies on like the utilization of silkworm pupae as an emulsifier in ice cream. Jesus. It's All like right. it's like everything's everything's been everything's Holy been done. Shit. Uh, Did but, you end up uh, making silkworm ice cream? Oh, uh, I did. It's the it, to this day the absolute worst thing I've ever made. <laughs> what did it? And oh I shit! Hope, what did it taste hope, like, man? I, I'm assuming this is entirely my fault. My prior context with with insects was that I was making a sort of um, mealworm Nutella, and when you uh, toast mealworms, they get darker and nuttier, sort of in like a coffee okay. way. Um, so, darkly toasted mealworms um, that were completely desiccated. Um, I could replace a certain ratio of cocoa beans and it was making a really awesome sort of chocolate product. Um, super cool. Um, so that was kind of my prior context. So I had these silkworm pupae, these dried silkworm pupae, and I thought I'll do the same thing. I'll toast them, um, get them kind of this nutty vibe. They kind of almost had 
a little bit of a aroma, like nutty aroma of like peanut butter raw. Uh-huh. So I thought, yeah, we'll toast this, get this ripping, and then uh, uh, I'll keep it, you know, relatively low in the ice cream. And then, you know, worst case scenario, um, if it's a little inaccessible, uh, we'll just, you know, put in, I don't know, a chocolate peanut butter swirl and call it a day. <laughs> um, that made total sense. I had no doubt in my mind. In fact, someone had asked me, and I was like being copy about it. I was like, yeah, no, like, like this is golden. Like you don't have to, don't worry about it. Like it'll, it'll work fine. on the menu. Yeah, I'll it'll make be it delicious. Work. It'll be fine. It'll be delicious. So I'm toasting these. I'm toasting these uh, as an R and D. I'm toasting these like silkworm pupae, like 300 degree oven. And I put them in and it starts to smell like it's starting to smell kind of buggy in my apartment. Oh, There's shit. like this, like, uh, if you go into like, you know, a basement, not the damp mildewy, but there's a, there's another smell. Of like, <laughs> there's just like, that's how it started to smell in my apartment. I was like, okay. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, I am rationalizing. It was like, this, this shit's off gassing. Right? <laughs> like, I'm getting rid of the buggy. I'm getting rid of the buggy smell and the, uh, and the, the toasty smell is going to be there. And, um, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking it's all going fine doing some other prep in my apartment or whatever. And I leave my apartment building, um, take out the trash. And I come back down the hallway. At this point, I realized my nose is just acclimated to the smell. And that actually like, it is awful. <laughs> it's the absolute worst oh, like, aroma. And it's like, it's gone like a hundred yards down oh, the hallway. It's so it's taking over I'm the whole like, complex. Oh, <laughs> it's taking over damn. the whole complex. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> Um, so I come in there and of course, again, cause I'm already too deep. I'm like, this is still solvable. Like, I'm like, this is not, so, so I kill the heat out. I'm like, okay, maybe toasting this, this dark isn't the vibe, but, uh, we'll cool it down. Uh, yeah, all the bad shit aromatized. We'll cool it down and we'll, and we'll mix it. Made that into ice cream. Uh, just like used it as the base, spun that into, uh, spun that into ice cream. Um, and it looked fine uh texture was super silky you know like just whatever it was like fresh out of felt like it was like fresh out the pocket yeah, jet you know yeah. i was like damn all right we're on to something emulsion was beautiful did all the whatever fat conversion ratios you know f- um super super thoughtful took a spoonful uh i'd thrown some vanilla in there top note great as soon as it hit that like melting point it opened like pandora's <laughs> box of like, oh, shit. it was so disgusting I immediately took everything out of my. I like clean house. Out of my apartment. I immediately took. I immediately took all the all my equipment, all my core containers that you know usually whatever emptying them and rinsing them. They all went straight into. The, they went straight into the trash. It's it was. Um, did it taste anyways. like garbage or did it taste like yeah. like but what did it taste like? Because people eat. Uh, it was like it was like like silkworm pupa. No, and again, it was it was my own processing methodology because I, I revisited it, and different processing was absolutely fun. Whatever the dark toasting did, um, it just waking the beast. Was like, yeah, it was. It was waking the beast. It was like it was like it was just putrid. Oh shit! Um, it was uh, try it. <laughs> try that. <it all. laughs> right, yeah, that recipe uh, upon my, your, my, on your... <laughs> my high recommendations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Highly recommended uh, if you want should... experience. <laughs> Oh shit! You should put that one up on the on Instagram, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, tell I really tell the whole experience. Yeah. yeah, this one's free. Some stuff in my Patreon. Um. <laughs> what else? Uh, what else did you come up with for that one? Was it no, mainly like uh, desserts and stuff, or did you do some savory courses? No, yeah, we did uh, full full multi course. There's some really fun stuff. Um, Weaver Ant Egg Ceviche. That one was super fun. The Ant Eggs kind of had just sort of this uh, neutral kind of almost like 
gelatinous texture, but they're like surprisingly big. They're almost the size of like jelly beans. Oh, well. They took super well to being relatively neutral flavored. They took super well to like a lemongrass, lime, um, garlic, things like that. Again, I, um, despite like publishing a lot of things that might sound a little, you know, they're more uh, technical in like uh, the data context. I look a lot more toward like traditional applications, recipes. Again, I think that People have essentially tried everything and the things that work really well and resonate with us um, have been done. The more that I've learned, the more that I read books, I just realized like, yeah, nothing's really that new. Um, It's just like, you know, there's whatever. There's obviously modern techniques and, uh, you know, hydrocolloids and whatever isolated ingredients. But uh, with the exception of that stuff, which, you know, it only has, I don't know, limited context. um, I think that a lot of, yeah, really nice traditional applications of things are, are in general the best. So, you know, a, a lot of the bugs were sourced from Thailand. So there's just inherently a lot of uh, Thai flavors, stuff like that. Did, did, did the yeah. ants actually like take on the flavors of like uh, what they're eating? Uh, yeah. The, uh, or does it mainly taste like grass? It's kind of a chicken and egg scenario, right? Like um, sourcing on insects in general is going to be, by the time they make it here, most of them are going to be dried or canned. Damn. There, There is some, uh, there's some really cool uh, like local cricket farms and mealworm farms. So shout out, shout out to those, those people who are making that work. But um, a lot of the more specialty ingredients and sort of fun things, yeah. uh, you know, things that people might be interested in working with. The, the sourcing is pretty is pretty difficult. Um, so it's it's tricky because then also with, you know, with more difficult sourcing um, comes, you know, less decreased demand. And with decreased demand, you know, it's harder to get better sourcing. Um, yeah. So a lot of these ingredients um, are not not inherently bad, but, you know, it's 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 uh, akin to, you know, a fresh mango versus a dried mango. Right. Um, yeah. You, know, you okay. just you lose some of the some of the. Uh, you know, aroma, just some of the characteristic aspects of it. The ants are still pretty exciting. You know, they they have like a lemony, uh, fumaric acid bite, but I've had ants sort of fresh and I've had them dried and same thing. Um, it's still, uh, it's still night and day. It's, uh, it's like huh. yeah, fresh citrus versus bottled citrus. Uh, absolutely. Have you tried uh, sourcing locally? Have you tried like gathering some ants and seeing what's up? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's just uh, whatever being uh, nice. one experience at all. Just like, all right, I guess we're uh, eating eating local ants just to, just to find out <laughs> just to find out yeah. what it's like. Never yeah. never thought I'd be in that scenario, but you know, um, <laughs> I'm like, all right, I gotta gotta try this. Uh, and fresh fresh sourcing is definitely a thing. I mean, I uh, I I don't have a lot of uh, experience with like catching grasshoppers or anything like that. But again, with like farming, yeah, the quality of uh, fresh mealworms versus dried is apparent. Same with crickets, the fresh frozen, significantly better, um, can can do a lot more with them. I still think there's a lot of sort of optimization in sort of the fractioning of insects. Again, like insects have an exoskeleton, they have uh, entrails. Uh, I'm speaking, you know, pretty ignorantly here. I haven't, you know, done done enough whatever research on this front, but just... I look at other, you know, super populous, you know, ingredients and there's, you know, things to be done with, you know, um, uh, processing and stuff like that. Again, we don't just like buy, uh, you know, entire chickens and grind them up and just, uh, like, you know, yeah. with everything and then just expect yeah, it to that's be true. Yeah, I never, th- I never thought about that. Um, yeah, so yeah, I just kind of, uh, same, same treatment with insects. I just like to see, uh, what novel processing could perhaps be done in the future, uh, just with 
different parts of it have whatever different flavors and obviously they're they're too small to sort of like hand process uh but yeah maybe yeah. there's some there's there's optimization there i don't know you know just just ideas again have to be my field of study to you know speak yeah. more intelligently about it but it's just things uh in the back of my head as i as i work have you sort of gone de- gone more down that path or have you kind of moved on to something else yeah um yeah I, i've uh i've moved on to something else um i if that if that comes up again um i think that's it's generally going to be an annual event so uh you know maybe okay. next year you'll see cool. it it's whatever's uh whatever's i guess kind of immediately available or of or of interest so you know right now all the spring stuff's back in season so uh it's spring stuff for me <laughs> what are you what are you working on right now um applications of rhubarb is always a favorite ingredient you typically see strawberry rhubarb pie uh maybe some like rhubarb wine or something like that you know outside of maybe uh fine dining stuff i don't see a ton of things you know so i really uh i'd like to see what what i can do there just because i think it's a cool uh ingredient that produces pretty pretty prolifically so uh, freeze concentrations always been my favorite application of it so far. Um, kind of letting uh, sugar sit on sort of the entire rhubarb uh, stem mash. Um, so, you know, sliced and macerated rhubarb mixed with sugar. And then I let it sit literally on the stems um, in like cold temperatures. I think it picks up more of the actual like rhubarb aroma characteristic. And then I will filter out all of the uh, solids um, and then sort of have the remaining rhubarb juice. Then I'll uh, freeze and thaw it repeatedly until I get sort of this rhubarb extract. It's like bright, bright pink. And then I really like utilizing it from there. Like you can make, you know, do anything from like a rhubarb curd, um, you know, like like lemon curd, um, all the way to like a cocktail ingredient. Can make that into you know uh, whatever a super fresh wine that has you know no no cooking application. Um, mixing it with uh, koji to do sort of like a acidified kind of uh, I don't maybe like shochu sort of um, okay like a little rhubarb, I don't know, rhubarb well, I don't know exactly or amazake kind of thing yeah kind of like. Um, yeah, like where you see like citric acid uh, producing varieties of koji being utilized um, for certain alcohols. That's really cool. um, rhubarb is by no means a niche ingredient, but um, sort of things that um, that you see get used more. Yeah, more one note. I like to really kind of try to like push the envelope on that kind of stuff. Do you get bored at all with using the same ingredients, or you dig deeper every season? Yeah, I really, uh, I really do not get bored. I don't actually believe in like in having like truly and objectively perfect end product. Um, I think that, that's a really good attitude to have, right? Like, uh, <laughs> I, I really do believe that there is food that tastes like shit, and there's food that tastes good, um, and then you know there's food that tastes amazing. Um, but even within that sort of realm of amazing food, uh, you know, just sort of there's a there's an upper and lower range based on, you know, what people's, uh, you know, prior preferences are and things like that. So I feel like if you're just within that realm of like, wow, this is really good at that point, it's sort of subjective preference. I sort of have kind of this dream of sort of having a lineup of, uh, like condiments, bottles. Um, it's just like a line of like, for lack of a better term, like potions, like it feels like alchemy, um, taking, yeah, Food okay. products that, yeah, like taking raw ingredients and really maximizing them to be greater than the sum of their parts in sort of ways that people 
might be slightly unfamiliar with, but then are also just super, super good and um, are available in like a pantry or freezer setting that are just constantly, constantly around. That's what I like to optimize. And I could spend a very long time working on one particular product, just sort of making it, dialing it in and trying to make it the absolute best kind of standardized product you could be. Is that what, uh, is that what you're trying to go for next? Is that what you're looking forward to for the next few years? More towards like, yeah, I, um, I love product R and D. That is definitely, um, that is definitely where I'm sort of, um, situated. I kind of would like to lean on that more as a dining concept too. Um, I like the idea of, again, instead of relying on, um, I don't know, a hundred touch points on a plate and a bunch of crazy spoon pushes and stuff like that. I really would like to do sort of extremely prep heavy, um, transformative applications of a bunch of ingredients where by the time you get the plate of food, it feels, um, rustic homey, but then at the same time it is straight up alchemy where it's like things that you've never flavors, you've never experienced, you know, applications and visuals they've never seen before. That's really where I want to optimize things. Um, are you talking about like a, like in a pop-up setting or are you talking about like an actual restaurant? Um, I would probably do it in a, I would probably do it in a pop-up setting just because yeah. um, of its sort of like fleeting, fleeting nature. Um, but yeah. it's kind of indirect. It's indirect contrast to uh, right. Like um, I'm not going to be, you know, flipping the most tables. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, that sort of intimate, yeah. Small pop-up um, almost like, prefixed you know uh kind of immersive setting is mm-hmm. i really really kind of i really like that stuff like kind of like wolf mouth like that kind of thing oh uh, i'm actually i'm unfamiliar so uh yeah wolf's mouth? Uh, i think that, yeah yeah let me see if i got his name right real quick i mean he's he's kind of more so doing like crazy plating and stuff like that but uh mm-hmm. he creates like a whole environment he did like a Hall- halloween kind of thing oh cool, and, cool. where it's like uh, you like saying? walk in and it's like a whole environment. It's not just the table sitting in an empty room. He's like creates the whole atmosphere so that it's, it's um, it matches the dinner, but his plating uh, is, is insane. Yeah. That's uh yeah, that's, that's amazing. I got a new rabbit hole to go down. This is, uh, <laughs> yeah. Check him yeah, out. He's actually, I love that. I love that. Okay, yeah. Check him out. He's super mysterious too. And like, uh, no one knows what he looks like and shit like that. It's, it's wild. But so you're, you're imagining something like that, like a pop-up that's got like a conceptual kind of thing um, going on in the background and it's like, yeah, and, you know, one seating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's whatever it's, it's a, it's borderline a cliche at this point, but I just, I've really been <laughs> it's valuing still spe- the, still cool. Yeah. Still special. Yeah. Again, I think that there's only so much that you can do by the time you yeah. um, have good ingredients and you process them well. There's only so it's much real. you can do on the actual taste end of things. So I really think yeah. uh, kind of optimizing experience. And again, not uh, not trying to sort of make this like Michelin perfection where you're kind of actually like controlling yeah. every last individual detail about the environment, but really just making a space that's extremely memorable um, is really kind of my interest. If I think back to any incredible dining experiences, it is, it goes so much further than the actual food, right? It's the same, oh, yeah. it's the people you were with. It's, you know, it's, it's everything for real. Um, yeah. Well, so I'm just, yeah, thinking about those things a lot. Well, dude, you got to get down to Mexico cause it's fucking crazy. <sighs> it's insane. Like uh, just for one example, this place called Macan, we like, <laughs> it's like five of us. And we, uh, we went there cause Eric Warheim, 
you know, the comedian. Oh, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he yeah. went there apparently. And we're like, okay, well, let's go find this yeah. place. It's like a Singapore Mexican, uh, mashup place. And so we get to the corner and there's no building. Oh. There's like nothing. We don't, we're like, yeah. where the fuck is this place? And so, yeah. we, uh, the only person who speaks Spanish asks another restaurant on the corner, where is this place? And they just point to this other building. That's like, there's no way to get in. It's, it's like, you you'd have to like know this place just to find it and so finally um my girlfriend follows this guy and he goes into this like little secret doorway behind a shop and then that turned out to be the restaurant you walk in (laughs) and it's like this beautiful like it's like a courtyard but it's all jungly and all the kitchen's like right in front of you and the bar is like crammed full like people and the food was i mean some of the food was great some of it wasn't but i'll remember that place forever because it was just so it was such a crazy experience and so many of those places in mexico are like that where it looks like nothing on the outside and then you go inside and it's it's something completely different it's a whole they really value the experience a lot so you gotta you gotta go check it out there's a million places like that i love it Last thing I got to ask you, man, what the fuck is going on with dad dust? Where did it come uh, from? What the fuck is it? Dad dust you is know? a bold seasoning. So uh, <laughs> you guys nailed the, uh, dude, you guys nailed the marketing. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you, dude. Um, yeah, yeah. Just in, just in time for father's day here. No, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, Dad Dust was, uh, oh man, what was the, even the original context? It sounds uh, to me like, if I imagined it, I imagine you guys were fucking around, you're probably high or you're drunk, you uh, come up with this idea, and then you were like, fuck it, we're gonna, we're gonna actually do it. Is that what happened? Yeah, that is, that is, that is almost <laughs> precisely what happened. I remember it was like, so we do whatever, uh, yeah, Al, uh, Alex, Big Al, um, we do, he does whatever music and like photo pop-up stuff. Uh, we'll take people's photos and then I'll make food at whatever. Just, you know, we'll like pop up at a courtyard of a restaurant. And I think as like part of the merch table one time, we were whatever, joking around about doing this. And it was pretty much at that point, almost like an art project, right? <laughs> You're just like, whatever, <laughs> let's just, uh, let's just do, uh, let's just do this. I have my other product, do Mommy Salt, um, yeah. which is something that I sell. And um, it's something that I use a lot in my cooking, but it's more for subtle applications. Um, I have absolutely nothing wrong with the utilization of MSG. I use a shit ton of MSG and a lot of things. Um, but uh, the my umami salt formulation is intentionally meant for things that I think don't need to be very heavy handed. So it's just mushroom powder and salt. And um, dad dust was the natural sort of uh, response where I was like, man, I need something on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> I made like some that like knocks Punch you in the, in the teeth with yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> so it has like MSG, but it has all the, it has the longer chain, like ribonucleotides as like the inosinate. Yeah. Stuff like that, that sort of synergized with, with MSG. And then it's kind of in the vein of lawyeries. I just love that. Like grill dad kind of vibes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't even know if it's ironic or not, right? Like it's like totally <laughs> yeah, that line. It is still in that line for sure. Yeah, you don't know what's so, going so, on. There. Yeah, and I don't even know. But uh, no, I mean uh, it's a good sign because I use it. I use it in my stuff all the time. So like, okay, I'm on to something here. Nice. So uh, okay. yeah, so people like it. I don't know, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, whatever. Ship you a <laughs> bottle after this. No. It's, it's fun. No. <laughs> I gotta. I just buy yeah, myself yeah. a case. Like you said, Father's Day is coming up. Um, yeah. no. uh, how how do you like you do the legwork to like get it like get things into bottles and stuff? I find that amazing. Like, yeah, f- I wouldn't um, even know the first thing about how do you how do you 
get that into uh, the hands of yeah. a manufacturer. No, I mean, I guess the big secret uh, behind that whole industry is that nobody knows, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe you work, maybe you work, maybe you work somewhere, uh, and that's how you're familiarized. But otherwise, uh, it's just a big amorphous gig to navigate. Um, again, I was lucky enough. I was working in, uh, I was working in a cheese cheese shop that had a bunch had a gift section, so uh, I could see the the products that were kind of doing well and what was circulating, things like that. And I kind of saw umami as like an, an upcoming trend. And um, and this was whatever, years back, you know, uh, mushroom powder and like flaky sea salt mixed together as a way of handling mushroom powder is sort of something that I would use in my cooking all the time. So I was like, you know what, I already got this kind of formulated. Let me just uh, see if people are interested in buying this. Remember, I put up, uh, I don't know, there's like uh, Google or whatever would offer out of like having a business LLC offer you like a hundred dollars of free ad money or something like that. Oh, yeah, so yeah, I didn't yeah. even have the product didn't even exist. And I just, whatever threw up an ad for, uh, for it. And then just wanted to see if people would even like gave a shit. Right. When people would click on the link, I was like, Oh, okay. There's like some, there's a little bit of hype around this. So, uh, that's when I actually finally was like, okay, maybe this is worth getting the appropriate licensing for and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, that's when I would ever took the plunge. Yeah. It's a whole different world that has virtually zero overlap with, uh, right. Working in a professional kitchen setting, but, um, but, uh, again, it's more of a logistics game, but it's, it's cool. And like, I mean, you know, I assume that the audience here is, uh, you know, largely, uh, industry people. And I can't, I can't recommend enough just like sort of having that something like just slightly diversified, you know, like just with how turbulent, you know, <sighs> yeah, like gig totally. work and restaurant work is having something that kind of just exists. Yeah. is just incredible. Um, so yeah. Anyways, but how do you cool. actually like get it into the, like, do you hand that formula off to like a manufacturing company and then they do it or do you buy yeah. the bags and then you fill it at home? Like yeah, how yeah. does that, how does that work? Um, the most logical place to start, especially for someone in a kitchen is to just get your business licensed to a kitchen. And then you, um, you kind of, oh, okay. uh, and then you just go out of there and you do that almost as a proof of concept. Um, unfortunately, just like any other food stuff, um, even more so it's an economies of scale kind of thing. So, um, you know, you probably, you know, you spend your first uh, couple months, if not years, um, you know, operating in the red, just kind of making small print runs on like the packaging labels, whatever, hand filling. And then at that point, if you get a, you know, decent audience, then you can uh, fortunate enough to whatever, finally hand over formula um, to, to a co-manufacturer, they're called, right, um, who uh, essentially packages the products for me now um so dope nice man so you're at that point you're you're is umami salt doing pretty good uh umami salt's at that point it's never uh it's never guaranteed so yeah uh, yeah you know hope for the best always uh it's it's constant uh i'm not a salesperson so that's always been kind of something i don't know (laughs) whatever it's 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 a sales job it's a sales and logistics job at the end of the day for real right yeah. Do you uh do you find yourself like having a love hate relationship with uh with Instagram? Um is that something you, know, you enjoy? Cuz I, I yeah, find it. You, I think you do it really well. You got you got a like a really good like consistent concept and image and stuff like that, but Yeah. Um I I would say the only the, the only thing that I dislike is right uh, is uh trying to consistently remain relevant. You know, I look sometimes I'll look at 
the last day that I posted something and I'm like, Oh shit, that was <laughs> yeah. a month ago. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, Same I better, here. Uh, like, I had no idea. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely did more. So a uh, big, I guess, I don't know thing that kind of really helped me with it is that I've sort of been curating uh feed a lot more, just constantly hitting that not interested button. Anytime that's something that isn't directly applicable to um, work that I like doing, you know, food. Um, yeah. I, everyone has a different relationship with social media and like, you know, um, personal shit's cool too. But for me, I use it to uh, get inspiration from food and to sort yeah. of uh, display my own work and find other like-minded people. So I really kind of, I put in a lot of effort into, I guess, kind of like maintaining it like that. Cause you know how the algorithm wants you to watch. Oh yeah. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Cat videos and shit. Yeah. Cat yeah. videos and shit. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I guess as the last question, what's, uh, what's next for you, man? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, no, I, uh, who knows? Um, I, again, I like product, development R&D hoping to kind of get into a little bit more consistent space like you're saying just like kitchen work super super fun but uh the sustainability of it is uh questionable yeah. at best so yeah. kind of at that point I think uh you know as as this is true of everyone and you know state of the service industry that's another podcast yeah um real it's just like you know got to just kind of got got an image of, you know, not working in kitchens all the time and, you know, just how much more healthy and uh, how much better your <laughs> yeah. body feels and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, probably, I'm not looking to go back full time really anymore. Um, yeah. I'm happy with gigs, but yeah, no, that's, that's, that's where my brain's at. That's where you're at. All right, man. Yeah. Well, dude, I really appreciate you uh, hanging out for an hour and talking shit, man. No, um, this has been amazing. Super nice. cool. Thanks, man. And I, I love, really I mean, it. just the magazine's insane. The amount of, uh, <laughs> Thanks, I don't man. know, production <laughs> and effort and I don't know, just whatever. Um, yeah. Thanks, know. man. That means a lot because yeah. it's just it's just me in in this yeah. in this room doing that shit. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right, man. I'll talk to you later. That's good. Right. Appreciate it, man. So where-